Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather. Political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, and this is Hugh. Hello, and we're here to talk about news and politics, and not the weather. Remember, fine. Hugh, you appear to have turned into some kind of baked clay figurine. (laughs) It's so horrible. I was seriously considering like podcast cancelled for the week. (laughs) No parade this week, Um, because it is unbearable like I don't like a lot of the time when people like constantly rag on London because London does have a lot of shitty things but there's a lot of things that I really like about London I've lived here for I've lived in like the southeast most of my life well virtually the entirety of my life in London for my entire adult life you know there's a lot of stuff I like about it but when it's really hot Mm. it smells so bad (laughs) and there's no breeze Especially, like, in certain bits, you'll get, like, there'll be bits where you get, like, a nice wind tunnel effect. Yeah. But then there's big chunks where it's just like, oh, this is horrible. And then, like, yesterday, it was like, oh, this is horrible. It's so hot. Why does London smell worse than normal? And it's like, oh, I see. Stella Creasy set fire to Sylvan Walk because John <laughs> McDonald didn't invite her to a thing that was last week. Yeah, that, that was big local news this week. Um, yesterday, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, the Walthamstow Mall, there was a serious fire. It's gutted it. Where am I supposed to get my chicken digger back in pasties now? Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's weird. It's like um, it's a shitty shopping centre. It's not a massively shitty shopping centre. It just had a re- it just had a it's, like, it's perfectly good. It's it's a proper like it's it's not a new shopping centre like baffling like no. a well, a Westfield or something like that. But it's not like I wouldn't say it's from the seventies. I'd no, say no, it's, it's from like maybe the early nineties yeah. at most. It's a kind of shopping centre that, that virtually everywhere like has every small town has. But, um, there was like a few uh, things on Twitter about, um, ah, yes, well, the centre of Walthamstow, it is like so decrepit and run really down. Not. It's like, it's really not. No. And it's like um, people bitching about, like, it's when, you know, I saw some people on Twitter say like, oh, the market's not, not what it used to be. It's like, it's still the largest market in the country. Hmm. It's huge. It's massive. There's not much that I want to buy there because it's, it's mainly... long. Yeah, it's very long. <laughs> it's, um, it's mainly like phone cables and like, and cheap clothes, which yeah. I, I, I don't... I don't wear many tracksuits. Um, <laughs> I'd like to. But. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it's obvious like, there was a, like, a racialised element of bitching about it because a lot of it was, bit, was people on Twitter bitching about how horrible Walthamstow is now and they all live in Essex. And, yeah. you know, we know why people move away from East London and move yeah, to there, Essex. There were, the, there were the conspiracy theories about uh, just somebody posting like, cultural enrichment is like, what? Jesus. But um, yeah, it smelt real bad and it mm. gave me a sore throat. And I don't like but it. But the uh, the main thing was that Stella Creasy um, kept, like went on Twitter and added in John McDonnell and said, oh, John, uh, I think I believe I've been told by my office that you're uh, speaking in Walthamstow today. Maybe don't, uh, maybe check your travel plans because there's been a big fire and all the buses and the trains are, are weird and off. And it's like she said, not that I was invited. Or something not like that. that I was invited. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like ah, oh, Stella, continuing your thing of. Passive aggressively being the worst MP. Yeah, well, not the worst MP. The the most petty. Mm. There was a I saw an interview of her on, um, on LBC this TV evening mm. um, that was on Twitter, um, and she was talking about all these job providers that are there. There's all these jobs at the mall, and she was like being nice about the, the companies that work there, um, and you could literally see it when it just dawned on her. That they're all on zero hour contracts and there's no and all of them are going to be out of work now. Yeah, and none of those companies are going to give two shits. Yeah, um, 
And it's going to be a while, probably. Yeah, apparently um, there's quite extensive damage. Like the yeah, roof, the roof was the roof came destroyed. in, and yeah, yeah. It looked, you could hear it. Mm. Um, but on the plus side, the horrible, awesome stove sign in neon that was made by I think God's Own Junkyard is probably dead because <laughs> that thing is horrible. We can rebuild. Look from ashes. Come neon. The thing is, there's a lot of shops in there that you know you get everybody like TK Maxx. Like, oh my god, where am I going to go now? To the other TK Maxx. Yeah. Um, there's a dodgy. We're C- down to two Poundlands now. <laughs> there was a dodgy CEX, but you know, everywhere has a dodgy CEX. <laughs> yeah. But we did have one thing, which was a new game, a game that had opened only a couple of years ago. Yeah. And that was like, it's a terrible. You can't. Shop. You can't. It's a terrible shop, but you could like it. Just you can't that. recover from those kind of losses, can you? No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> yeah, but oh well. Oh, well, Clinton Cards and the cheaper card shop. The better card shop. <laughs> the card factory. Yeah. But, um, yeah the only so fucking Burger King in 10 miles. Jesus. What am yeah. I going to do? Well, there's one in Leytonstone. I'm not going to Leytonstone. They are. But, um, yeah, it's the thing that's sad, though, is it? Even it's for the king. It's going to be a lot of people out of work. A lot yeah, of people. Yeah. And, and as, as, as much as you want to say, like, you know, town centres have become places of commercialism, consumerism, mm-hmm. and all that. It did kind of tie the place together. That is the centre of Walthamstow. Mm-hmm. Like it's not uh, like the town halls are a bit way away, a bit of a way away. Yeah. There's like the town square outside, and it's right outside the mall. And mm. you yeah. know, um, that will have an effect. Be interesting to see what happens with the rebuild and whether they just put a whole load of blocks of flats on top of it. And yeah, have, um... that's that's the other. So I mean, we did an episode about this um, last year sometime mm-hmm. um, about the plan to put four large tower blocks yeah. in the aforementioned like green space square mm. outside that would be attached to the mall. Now the main funder of that project is also the owner of the mall. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not saying mall as a, a, an American affectation. It was literally called the mall as yeah. well. I, I don't like that. It was Southern Walk. It's called a public address system, not a tannoy. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that, so that's like a slightly more believable uh, conspiracy theory that... I don't fully believe that property developers are that rabid that they are burning places down, but all that firing ca- <laughs> all I'm saying is that firing Camden happened as soon as HS2 was announced. <laughs> um, and you know they just did just finish a big refurb at the mall. Yeah, they did. It, surely it would be its safest now, if anything. Um, <laughs> oh shit, my Lidl's. Yeah. Oh fuck. Oh, yeah. I hope that's still open. You'll have to go. No, it won't be. What's on the far side? I don't know. No, I don't know that. It's, no, it's, you're screwed. You're screwed. But um, yeah, it's gonna be. It'll be weird what happens. Um, I hopefully they just rebuild it exactly as it was. Um, but I can't see that happening. Maybe they'll do. Uh, yeah, they'll put, put flats on top, or maybe they'll cover the whole top in glass like they're gonna do in Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, it is very much our Notre Dame. This was our Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. More useful. Yeah. So. Yeah. Rest of the news this week, less slightly less important. We've got two new party leaders mm-hmm. and one new prime minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, the Lib Dems. Uh, no, you're right. He hasn't been to see uh, Er indoors. No, he hasn't been given the, the special gem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's one of four special gems. <laughs> the others are held by the Sea Lords, <laughs> and if they ever come together, then the kingdom falls. And if he tries to sleep in number 10 without it, the cat attacks him. <laughs> the cat turns into a giant lion. <laughs> but like those lions in um, Trafalgar Square, so it's got like the head of a lion but the body of a dog because the artist never saw a lion. <laughs> um, Joe Swinson's been elected leader of the Lib Dems. Mm-hmm. It's good to see um, a, f- a former member of the David Cameron cabinet. <laughs> back, back on at the top. top. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
good to see. It's good to see. You, you know, you, it's she was unfairly um, kicked out of her love when she was an MP because she's like she hasn't even been able to be like as a solid runner as an MP. She's one of those. Like I think. Chris oh yeah, she got, yeah, she could because she, she got uh, she got not deselected. She got thrown out, voted out, didn't she? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, the the most unedifying spectacle of that was everybody gathering around to defend Joe Swinson mm-hmm. as their new progressive saviour, despite not having exactly covered herself in glory in the coalition government. Um, well, she covered herself in blood, um, mm. which is a kind of glory. Um, James O'Brien was particularly delightful. Um, Joe, Swinson, Joe Swinson's election... Marks another milestone in the footballification of our politics. It is not permitted to be cautiously optimistic or even ambivalent about her. Failure to condemn and castigate is evidence of ideological impurity and will not be tolerated. It was not that long ago. <laughs> and it is things that she said and done. And it's in it's I So much of it was I'm not dealing well with this. So much of it was how dare you have a different politics from this. Yeah. It's like even if she hadn't been in the coalition government, even mm-hmm. if she hadn't had an explicit record mm-hmm. of doing the things that she had done against mm-hmm. disabled people and enabling austerity, mm-hmm. her politics and are she not... was gleeful about it. Yeah, she she, was she regarded jokes. it as a triumph, as a as a progression for her kind of politics. Mm. Now, of course, like uh, Twitter naturally kind of has that effect of like being able to just say things. So usually it is a, a more kind of like, uh, what's the word? Like vicious or um, visceral. Mm-hmm. It can be a more visceral kind of experience because it's just like, oh no, 120, she's fucking sucks. Yeah. She's fucking terrible. But her politics are not shared by those people in the Labour Party. No. Um, Why do the Conservatives, when they criticise Liberals, never get accused of tribalism? Why is it expected? It goes back to my thesis that they're mainly angry that the Labour Party isn't the Liberal Party anymore. Yeah. It's not the home of people who style oh, yeah, themselves they're, they're as, as, as Liberals. They are 100% annoyed about that. When, especially from like the Aranoviches of this world, mm-hmm. who have not given a single... have not been ambivalent, or mildly optimistic about uh, Corbyn's like no. uh, leadership tenure, no. and have not given the benefit of the doubt no. on the bad things that he's supposed to have done. Yeah, there was like one of the horrifying like responses I've seen a lot is when people were criticizing Joe Swinson for her position, her time in the cabinet and the co- in the coalition government, and the horrible things that she did for the sake of five p bags. Um, <laughs> They're saying, oh yeah, but in 2010 that was the same as the Labour manifesto. And it's like... Yes, it was. Yeah. You're right. Isn't that bad? Yeah. No? Oh no, it was good. Right, okay. Yeah, it's like a different party now. Yeah. Labour Party's a different party. And the people people in the Labour Party then who voted against it, it was led by Jeremy Corbyn. This this really strange thing whereby people who comment on politics and people who are political analysts and journalists and whatever... Mm. um, solely think in terms of five-year gaps and their entire politics pivots around that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are defi- If there are liberals, then they support the Liberal Democrats, mm-hmm. despite the Liberal Democrats not being particularly liberal when it comes to certain things. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, not supporting Labour because they don't believe that they are doing the social democratic... Putting, putting forward the social democratic programme, which five years previously was considered 
like that's the centre left position. Yeah. Social democracy is that is is was broadly the centre left position. They would mm-hmm. say, take the money out of politics, mm-hmm. change the electoral system, um, put more money to the NHS and to public services, and make financial companies pay their own way. Blah 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 blah. Mm. All that. None of which has been departed from in most of the most radical stuff that Corbyn's Labour has mm-hmm. has proposed. Maybe the most radical stuff is like employee positions on boards and employee ownership. That's maybe something that hadn't been talked about before. But other than that, it's been pretty much tax these people to send this money to places where it's actually needed. Yeah, but then they push more. The the manifesto did have more than that, just that. Mm. Because, you know, there was like, you know, education. Yeah, I know. But it was more money for education. It was was ultimately, it was changing, obviously, the patterns of the way that people use Mm. education and, and the things that are available to them at uni. Uh, for university education and adult education, things like that. But it was essentially instituting, reinstituting a, a proper welfare state. Yeah, it was giving, giving back what had been taken away. You know, uh, yeah. in broad strokes, obviously. Like, yeah. But it's just one of the strangest things. Liberals without liberalism, social democrats without social democracy. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, it's so odd how you can look at someone like a Joe Swinson and say, I'm not going to defend what she says now, because the liberals always say a lot of liberal stuff that they either do not intend on delivering on or would be undermined by their other policies, like Mm -hmm. Orange Book policies. But also not choosing to defend a theoretical liberal liberal Democrat, but actually defending an actual liberal liberal Democrat now in in power, Mm. in, uh, in, in office, as it were. Like, it's such a strange thing. I'm going to choose to defend austerity rather than emphasise anything good that Joe Swinson might possibly be capable of. Well, no, they are saying that. They're saying that, they're saying that like, um, you shouldn't judge it's her for what Brexit. she did. You shouldn't judge her for what she did. And Brexit will make austerity seem... No, they're easy. saying you should judge her for what she did, and what she did was rational and good. Um, no, there's still quite a few of them are just saying don't, don't, don't look at it. Hmm. Um, but they're saying that Brexit will be worse than austerity... And they're saying, we don't know what good things she'll do in the future. And I know what good things she's going to do in the future. She's going to make sure that... Um, she's going to vote in line with the government so it doesn't doesn't collapse. Mm. And she's going to enable a really nasty Brexit. Yeah. Um, she might go into coalition with, with Boris after Brexit, or maybe just before Brexit. Who knows? Um, but I reckon there's, there's like... It's, there's a low chance that they'll go into coalition with them before Brexit. There's a definite chance they'll go into coalition with them straight after it. Yeah. Um, definitely. That has to be, though, that has to be, like, an even greater betrayal than, like, the tuition fees thing. What? Like, suppose that they go into... It's one that will matter to them more, because it'll be a betrayal of, of people in their 30s rather than a betrayal of 18-year-olds. Yeah, certainly. That's that's the kind of thing I mean. Like, it matters more to a demographic of Lib Dem voters mm-hmm. than tuition fees, which mm-hmm. was bad enough. Mm-hmm. But having made that pitch to Bre- to Remainers... We live, in a to world, then... we live in a world where Jeremy Corbyn is more hard Brexit than, than um, Boris Johnson. Mm. That's the, the that's true. That's the way their brains work. Yeah. I'm not saying that I agree with them because I really, really profoundly don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what the kind of bullshit that they're pushing now. And that's why they're going to do stupid things. Hmm. Speaking of doing stupid things... Mm-hmm. Well done, Tories. Well done. It finally happened. You know that um, episode of Frasier where he's learning how to ride a bike mm-hmm. and he keeps focusing on a tree in front of him <laughs> and like he, he keeps riding into the tree over and over again yeah. because as if you've ever like learnt or taught someone how to ride a bike, you tend to steer towards the things that you're looking at all mm-hmm. the time. Do yeah. you get where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Did you see the very <laughs> obvious thing that I'm going for here? Um, so yeah, it's 
Boris as PM is the fulfilment of everything we've been looking at and haven't been able to tear our eyes away from. Yeah, it's a yeah, uh, the journalist wet dream that they gave themselves in the nineties. Um, yeah, his first appearance on Have I Got News For You was, I think, 98. Yeah. And he was hosting after Angus Deaton uh, got kicked off in like, 2005. The, I think the first was. time a supposed liberal in the media leant over and said, do you, know what, do you know what might be funny? Do you know what might be funny? Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. Only joking! Yeah. And then they did that solidly until now we've got him as Prime Minister. Well, that's the thing. I was thinking today, like, can you think of any properly, like, mm. seriously, serious voice, pro-Boris... Uh, liberal, not quite the London mayor thing because that was mm. maybe the exception that proved the rule. But they've never advocated Boris as prime minister. They've only ever incorporated it as a part of like entertainment or the yeah, spectacle. Yeah, it was like um, I think it was on Jonathan Ross or something like that. And he was like, oh, just think about it, prime minister Boris Johnson. Yeah, it's a fun thing that they like to play around with, and then they made it happen. Yeah, which after a while just seemed like it just it just seems inevitable and I wonder what kind of reception he's going to get by which I mean how many people who are resolutely anti-Brexit and you know anti-Boris are going to write defences of him in the next do I dare say tw- like Sam 24 Bowman, hours, Sam 36 hours like about 12 hours is Sam Bowman Sam Bowman's Sam that Bowman's neoliberal that, guy Sam Bowman's the one that can't cook yeah, he's the guy with the neoliberal mug and he defends neoliberalism as a, a particular thing and then yeah, says... and Salmonella. Yeah. He loves oh, Salmonella. God, yeah. <laughs> the chicken guy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they'll, it'll be quick. Um, I'm gonna, spoiler alert, they're all going to fall into line. Mm-hmm. Um, Rory Stewart, who was on... Oh, God. It's, so, yeah, so I still have LBC on in the background. I, I had it on in the background um, t- today and yesterday because I wanted to hear, you know, the coronation of World King Boris. And I, you know, just needed something in the background while I was practicing Samarajan. <laughs> so you know, I needed something to like sort of background noise. But anyway, so I heard like the adverts for James O'Brien's fucking podcast, um, where he interviews Rory Stewart, and Rory Stewart's oh, like, God, all yeah. he needs because you know, to, it's the way that majorities work is you don't, um, you, if he if you lose, there's like a free majority, but if one of those people turns into explicitly anti-Boris. Then it becomes a one majority. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. like, and I've got two friends. Because they and, lose one and the yeah. other side gains one. Yeah. 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 And Roy Stewart's if they like, don't abstain. And Roy Stewart's like, and I've got two friends. And it's like, you're going to fall into line like a like the piece yeah. of shit fucking boot licking soldier that you are. <laughs> um, like they all will. Um, yeah, so that's going to happen. And they're all going to do it. They're yeah. all going to do it. I'm really looking forward to. Um, all of the liberal anti-Brexit people falling into line. Um, Chuck Ramuna was being interviewed, and Chuck Ramuna was—they were like, um, you know, will you support uh, like ter- taking down the government? And he's like, well, no, we need to deal with Brexit. Motherfucker! We- <laughs> of course he did. Seriously? Of course. Because what else is he going to do? Because he's out of the job as soon as there's an election. <laughs> yeah. Is he going to win in Stratham? No, he no. can't get parachuted into another no, thing. He's, he's, he's not. He's already. He's said always he's made such Stratton. a. He's already made. He's already he always they're... makes such a big thing about. He's the Lib Dem His local Stratton. connection. Yeah, yeah. And no, he's he's fucked. Yeah, I mean we've lacked we've lacked good solid sitcom characters for a while, so that will probably keep the Zone Two commentators kind of fixated on Boris. I mean, mm. you know, not a lot. Middle of summer, not a lot of box sets out. No. So why not have the Boris set? But they love him. They're gonna love him. They love what he does for eyeballs on their product. Okay. Good thing. Okay. Good big point now. They're about to go on holiday. Yes. 
So nothing's going to happen. Oh, no, no. We're just going to have Boris doing the thing that they like Boris doing, which is just sort of guffawing, saying forthwith yeah. and whiffle and all that kind of crap. Yeah. That's all he's going to do for like the first two months of his fucking leadership. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're going to be fucking, they're going to be loving it. Yeah. And every now and again, they'll have something come out about him not taking proper responsibility mm. or uh, enacting some really horrible thing. And they'll be, they will all crowd around him. Mm. They will all crowd around him and say, we need to give him a chance. Mm-hmm. Or he did the best he could in difficult circumstances. Despite supposedly get... being this like larger than life character who controls everything around, like Machiavellian How long schemester who controls everything around him. Him drunk in number 10 and video footage of him flinging the cat out of the window. <laughs> and then the article by Brendan O'Neill why Boris Johnson was right to throw that cat out the window and it's a moral panic all these people it's, a, it's a moral panic and it's censorious to not allow the Prime Minister to throw his own cat out of the window <laughs> yeah they're going to say that so for our main topic this week um, I read a report from the policy exchange mm. that came out uh, it was last week Mm-hmm. Um, they published a report on Extinction Rebellion. It grabbed a few headlines, um, but largely didn't really make it through to kind of long-term like discussions or discourse <laughs> or anything like that. Um, it was called Extremism Rebellion, Extinction Rebellion's Ideology and Strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a bit of background information. Policy Exchange, that's a right-wing think tank that was set up in 2002 by a group including Nicholas Bowles, Nick Bowles, that guy, the MP. Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, Michael Gove, you may have heard of him, <laughs> and Francis Maud, uh-huh. who are the three Tory, uh, Tory ministers. Uh, it's been rated... All four think tanks were separate from this stuff. <laughs> Hold on a second. Hang on a minute. Listen, it's fine, especially when your funding is as opaque <laughs> as the policy exchanges is. Um, it's been rated as one of the least transparent think tanks in the UK. Uh, the website whofundsyou.com rated them an E for transparency. They have an income and spending of £3 million a year, but zero information on funders' identities or how much they give. Um, they've recently uh, produced reports on things like uh, beautiful architecture, so making housing beautiful. What they mean is making Victorian housing, taking <laughs> architecture back, say, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, countering online extremism, promoting humanitarian intervention and recommending legislation to make military personnel immune from prosecution and for legal aid to be removed from foreign nationals to stem what they call lawfare. <laughs> oh, fuck me. <laughs> so they like, they like war. They don't like people being held accountable for war crimes. No. Um, they like classy old buildings. Yep. Um, and also... they don't like it if you call someone like a blood-soaked war criminal on Twitter. Well, they don't mind if you call them that. They do mind if you try to sue them for killing your family. <laughs> Um, oh. Yeah, they're also very influential, have been very influential in um, education policy, so academies, Useful. things like that. Yeah. Um, so this report came out, yep, uh, as I said, Extremism Rebellion, a review of ideology and tactics, written by Richard Walton and Tom Wilson. Richard Walton, mm-hmm. you may be interested to know, is a former head of counter-terrorism within the Met- Metropolitan Police Service. He retired in 2016 after the Ellison inquiry into police corruption and infiltration of the Stephen Lawrence campaign. It was revealed that Walton had had a meeting with an undercover officer infiltrating campaign groups working closely with the Lawrence family. At that time, uh, Walton was part of the Lawrence review team preparing the Met's... 
preparing the Met's submissions and responses to the McPherson inquiry into the failed murder investigation. The meeting had been set up by Bob Lambert, who was acting chief of the now well-known spy cops outfit, the Special Demonstration Squad, and an undercover spook that had been infiltrating groups around the Lawrence family. Bob Lambert also became famous as one of the police infiltrators of the ALF, who was sued for £425,000 for fathering a child with an environmental activist while he was undercover. He was also outed in 2013 as one of the co-authors of the McLibel pamphlet. Oh. Yeah. That thing where um, they published that uh, pamphlet about McDonald's and then got sued by McDonald's. It was a 10-year-long court case that they eventually won. Yeah. Um, He was apparently one of the co-authors while he was undercover. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Walton retired uh, in 2016 before any... uh, Proceedings before any proceedings could be uh, brought to him, brought against him, and uh, six days after he retired, it was announced that yes, he w- had he not retired, he would have had a case to answer. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, he then took up a position as a consultant of, on counterterrorism for CBS News and established his own com- company, Counterterrorism Global Limited, of which he is the sole director. It offers materials and consultancy on counter-terrorism and counter-extremism, as well as counter-terrorism training, event security and investigation, and as security advisors. Uh, the other guy... You, you infiltrate them, always make sure you've got a van, and encourage them to do naughty things, and then arrest them. Yeah. Uh, the other co-author of the, this report was Tom Wilson. He's a fellow at the Centre for the Response to Radicalisation and Terrorism at the Henry Jackson Society. They're fine. They're fine, Ooh. fine bunch of lads. Uh, just, he's got a lot of material online, mostly kind of around policing Muslim communities in Western countries. One of those little bloodthirsty ticks that just kind of buries themselves in institutes and journalism and occasionally pops up to give the official kind of defense of western civilization line yeah uh, he went on julia hartley brewer's talk radio show and was talking about how far-right attacks may be in response to increasing islamist attacks which were highly unlike the uh idea that islamist attacks may be in response to western foreign policy it's completely different um there were some headlines about how Policy Exchange wouldn't reveal who paid for this report on Extinction Rebellion. Um, they contacted Exxon, uh, Shell, um, and they would not, and uh, the Policy Exchange themselves, uh, who would not reveal who had actually paid mm-hmm. for the report because that's yeah. how these things work, apparently. Um, and didn't Exxon and Shell refuse to, like, they, they didn't deny it? They didn't respond. Ah. According to the Open Democracy uh, thing, I'll put a link at the at the bottom of the uh, thing on Twitter. Um, but yeah, they just simply didn't respond. Yeah. yeah. So the report itself, um, it's split into several sections. Um, I'm not going to go through it all because it's like 70 pages mm-hmm. and I wouldn't wish that on you for the world. <laughs> My beautiful prince. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but it starts as follows. Uh, Extinction Rebellion has captured the public imagination over the past year, becoming the UK's most active campaign group. Using maxims of rebellion and non-violent protest, it has rapidly enlisted the support of tens of thousands of followers who have been prepared to protest and even be arrested for their cause. Sounds like, like the pub- for a shit you do <laughs> Like the public at large, many of these activists appear to be genuinely concerned about climate change and other environmental issues. Um... I'd just like to point out before this, there's a few things in this report that were like, yeah, though they were bang on. A lot of talking about like 
their eco-socialist credentials and how their how their tactics are kind of counterintuitive. This isn't intended as like we went in on Extinction Rebellion before. Where it's necessary, we will. Mm-hmm. But this is mainly about the kind of language they use. Remember, the fact that this is Extinction Rebellion and the fact that Extinction Rebellion have the tactics they do does not detract from the fact that this report is wildly reactionary against and would be reactionary against any protest group. Oh, yeah, 100%. Not, not just specifically Well, it shows that they'll, um, that they'll do something like this about Extinction Rebellion who are a bunch of bootlickers who tried their best to make sure that they wouldn't make enemies Yeah, with these kinds of people. And it just shows, don't bother. <laughs> As this paper shows, however, the leaders of Extinction Rebellion seek a more subversive agenda, one that is rooted in the political extremism of anarchism, eco-socialism, and radical anti-capitalist environmentalism. explicitly not anti-capitalist, but go on. The civil resistance model they espouse is intended to achieve mass protest accompanied by law-breaking, leading eventually to the breakdown of democracy and the state. Obscured from public view, these objectives mark Extinction Rebellion's campaign out as an extremist one that seeks to break down the established civil order and liberal democracy in the UK. And it's like, I love the use of subversive there. That's mm. something I really love being, um, being trotted out. Like, if you take it on the surface, they're being subversive. Like, th- they take the opinion that despite all the kind of consensus building and broad front, like like popular front tactics of Extinction Rebellion, trying to bring as many people in as possible, that they are ultimately subversive because they're lying to their followers. Yeah. And frankly, even if they were, and they actually don't have just a consensus building thing, they approach, they have like a, a, a an anarchistic setting fire to everything approach. Isn't that worth dealing with if you're dealing with climate change? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not willing to subvert something to avert literally the apocalypse, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Um, many of the followers of Extinction Rebellion are completely unaware of this secondary objective, despite it being readily espoused by their leaders in YouTube posts of their speeches and in their publications. Celebrities, politicians and members of the public have been seduced into believing that Extinction Rebellion's methods and tactics are honourable and justified, when clearly they are not. Ah, the honourable, it's been a pleasure to duel with you, Extinction Rebellion. You have you have brought much honour to your cause. Now let me yeah. burn to death. Yeah. Also, are they trying to, like, outside agitators their own, like, an internal group? I think they are. You know how, like, you know, in, um, in the 60s in, like, Alabama or whatever, whenever there was... Um, local trouble, like local protest, like civil rights protest, they would always say, ah, the local, like about african-americans are fine but they brought in outside agitators and yeah. it's like they're using this to say like they brought in outside agitators into their own movement yeah <laughs> it's really weird those who accept planned mass law breaking in a liberal democracy to further a political cause are effectively condoning the breakdown of the rule of law they may assert breaking the law is a means to an end and there is a crisis that needs addressing and law breaking is the only tactic that will change government policy but in doing so they have become extremists for their cause their cause mm-hmm. not everybody's no. the people who publish this report will be happy in their hyperbaric domes mm-hmm. drinking evaporated water <laughs> Everybody else will burn. Yeah. Um, Extinction Rebellion is now at a crossroads. 
If it persists in its current strategy of encouraging mass law-breaking in order to bring down the government in the furtherance of its cause, then it will be treated as an extremist organisation, lose its mainstream supporter base and all public sympathy for its environmental cause. Conversely, if it changes its current strategy towards engaging in lawful protest whilst acknowledging the liberal democratic order, it has the opportunity to become a significant and influential global mass movement that is a positive force for change. Like the Lib Dems. Yeah, it's perfect. I like he constantly they constantly back and forth on they don't give a proper definition of what lawful and unlawful protest is. I don't expect a, a man who's been in the Met for that long to understand the difference between lawful and unlawful. <laughs> to be fair, well, quite a lot of the time they they say things like, "Well, there's this danger that they're going to get really violent and mm-hmm. re- they they could start smashing stuff up." You see, when they glued themselves to things, mm-hmm. that was unlawful. But then, kind of talk about how. They don't actually talk about what kind of lawful protest they would want to see and yeah. kind of agitate against really any contradiction of the technocratic, liberal democratic order. Mm. Which, I, I mean, look, technology as a solution to climate change is up in the air. Not a big fan of it mm. myself because it perpetuates the patterns that mm. have already existed. Yeah. Um, but, like, it is a particular way, as they will see. But also, I hate to point it out, but if the liberal democratic regime that we exist under brought you to the point where we're nearly going to burn the surface of the planet to a crisp, mm-hmm. then what use was that order? Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. the Chinese used to have this thing called, like, the Mandate of Heaven, mm-hmm. where um, they said that if there were a lot of, like, natural disasters or famines or things like that, then it was heaven turning against the emperor, mm-hmm. and so the emperor, it was justified to remove the emperor. Like, there's a certain Darwinian logic to that, that if the liberal democratic order can't, stop the things that are causing climate change which it cannot on no. obvious evidence yeah um then it needs to be replaced with something different yeah you know 100 uh this paper does not seek to dispute any of the details relating to climate change or the damage caused to the environment by current human activities it does not question the legitimacy of protest on environmental issues nor is the paper arguing that either governments or civil society should ignore these urgent concerns rather it is concerned with politics and strategy of this new movement in the uk through a remarkably successful strategy extinction rebellion has brought the politics of a radical fringe into the mainstream and incited significant numbers of people to break the law and invite the police to arrest them including previously law-abiding politically moderate individuals do you think that they question the legitimate legitimacy of protest by the end of this uh, this whole thing yes let's find out <laughs> While the campaigners have largely restricted their message and demands to urge action to avert climate change and ecological disaster, evidence shows that this is a campaign which, at its core, supports an overturning of the existing economic, social and political order. Its philosophy is one that holds that the free market, usually referred to by the activists as neoliberalism or simply capitalism, will inevitably destroy... How dare they refer to the free market as capitalism? (laughs) Uh will inevitably destroy life on Earth and must therefore be brought to an end. Those who founded Extinction Rebellion and continue to act as its intellectual figureheads are clear that climate change cannot be addressed under the current economic system. Furthermore, the leaders of the campaign have repeatedly presented an argument that climate change cannot be addressed through the existing democratic process, instead urging law-breaking and an unelected citizens' assembly as their only solution. I just love the way that it's like, something's only a problem if its potential solutions can be addressed by everything that currently exists without changing a thing. Mm. You know, it's like, 
oh no, if it can't go through Parliament, it's not really a problem. It's not something that could yeah. possibly ever be addressed. We should just let it go. Yeah. It's such a such a, a lack of imagination. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like asking an ex-copper to have like a fucking political, utopian or radical political imagination, I know. But yeah. like, it's incredible as a human being that you don't look at that and say, oh, hey, maybe fossil fuel companies won't just do it out of the goodness <laughs> of their hearts. Um. Well, they're not going to say that when they're being paid to say that, or not being paid to say that. <laughs> um, so there are ke- several key themes in the in the report that they mm. want to emphasise about it. They go into the history of Extinction Rebellion thing, a lot of kind of links to Twitter posts, YouTube videos made by Gail Bradbrook and Roger Hallam, the two mm. kind of main yep. uh, figureheads of Extinction Rebellion. Um, one of those topics is the topic of degrowth. So they have this idea that obviously the growth demanded by capitalism... Um, profit growth and production growth is the thing that's driving climate change and unless we move the economy to one to either a zero growth or a degrowth mm-hmm. uh, economy anything else we do would be useless because yeah. capitalism will continue consuming those resources which Definitely. is a fair point yeah and it's been around for a long time um, and has been around for a long time uh, they reject this this report no they shit. say Extinction Rebellion rejects a policy of seeking growth from a capitalist model of economics and promotes an ideology of post-capitalism and degrowth as a means to reduce consumption and a greater degree of economic redistribution, which they acknowledge will result in a reduction of living standards. It is a notable feature of Extinction Rebellion's message that the possibility that technological solutions might be developed to counter climate change and reverse environmental damage is routinely dismissed. So that's like something that this report comes back to quite a lot, the idea that, but you're not even allowing us to scorch the sky so that the rays don't bake us. (laughs) It's very much like the technocratic neoliberal solution is we can continue doing everything we need to. We can continue, like, aside from fossil fuels, like, Plastics require mm-hmm. extractive industries. Yeah. Solar panels require extractive mm-hmm. industries. All IT technology re- requires extractive mm-hmm. industries. Like, this isn't just about fossil but, fuels and the carbon they put out. I saw a TikTok video with a 15-year-old from America who seemed pretty on the ball, and he said that we could solve climate change by just setting off some nukes in a volcano, <laughs> and it would block out the sun of it. <laughs> so are you telling me that we're not allowed to try something like that? I'm saying that until it's been tried, we can't try anything else. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. That's basically what they're saying. Basically, here's the thing, like, how angry people get at the concept of not driving as much. Yeah. It's a super, it's like, do you imagine, like, humanity would be driving for it? Knowing what we know now about, hmm. oh, fuck it, set aside climate change. Knowing what we know now about the health costs of driving just in this city alone. Mm-hmm. How many people fucking die? Yeah. How many kids' lives are like destroyed by driving? Mm-hmm. And not even counting the number of people who are knocked down, mm-hmm. which I understand is, I think it's higher than heart disease, number so, of people who are killed on roads. That wouldn't surprise me. It's a, a leading cause of mortality. Mm-hmm. And yet the second you suggest even a slight restriction mm-hmm. of that, it's people lose their minds. Yeah, There's, um, there's a nice bit, I say nice, there's in where well, the dog in Effing Forest. There's a bit where you cross the road and you cross down the North Circular. Yeah. And you're quite high up, and you can see all the way to Alexandra Palace. Yeah. You can see, so it's a long way. You can see, mm. and you can see like the North Circular all the way down there. And on a on a bright day, the pollution, yeah. the haze you can see is grotesque. The smell, yeah. Like how anyone could, yeah. We weren't going to live like the Jetsons. Yeah, I mean, tell somebody that. Um, 
part of Sharia law is putting a load of particles into the air and being forced to breathe them, <laughs> and they will literally do pogroms. Yeah. But tell them that they're not going to be allowed to... I suppose it was like, a, it's it's very much a key feature of bourgeois individual identity is being able to have that car and... Car and smoke. Yeah. Yeah. It's being able to have that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it attacks their class identity as well mm-hmm. as just an individual identity, which is uh, all important. Yeah. My um, thing with cars, like, you know, it's more very... It's, it, you have to have a different a different attitude towards cars as soon as you get away from, like, London. Yeah. But London, I would get rid of all them. Yeah, I would. It would be that if I was in any kind of position of power, the f- and I really wanted to do something like absolutely radical, I would abolish cars from most of London and most city centres with a stroke. Mm-hmm. Absol- absolutely, mm-hmm. it would also be it would be super positive. Yeah, it would be lovely in every way for people's health. When I start noticing, whenever I go out of the city, mm-hmm. um, how much easier it is to breathe. Mm-hmm. You and know you don't that's wrong. And I don't have asthma. I did have asthma when I was a kid, but I don't suffer from it too much now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they continue. Often the narrative adopted has been as focused on matters of social justice as on environmentalism. This idea sits at the core of why this movement sees environmentalism and anti-capitalism as necessitating one another, in place of the Marxist belief that the capitalist economic system must inevitably collapse because of its own internal contradictions. So this movement holds that capitalism must end because its own perpetuation necessitates destroying and depleting the resources it depends on. From the pieces posted by Extinction Rebellion, it is clear that degrowth is not only proposed as a means to reduce consumption, but also as a way to pursue an undefined model of post-capitalism and greater degrees of economic redistribution. In December, in June 2019, Extinction Rebellion tweeted a piece from Prospect magazine accompanied by the hashtag degrowth accompanied by the hashtag degrowth. Quoting from the article, the tweet states, if we share what we already have more fairly, we can improve people's lives right now without having to plunder the earth for more. Fairness is an antidote to the growth imperative. Monsters. (laughs) Fucking... If I knew that Extinction Rebellion was about this all along, (laughs) I wouldn't... The thing is, they're not. I did so... The, indivi- like, the individuals that make it up oh yeah. do do that kind of stuff, but that's not Extinction Rebellion's explicit no. demands. Um, well, we know what their explicit demands are. Roger Hallam yeah. needs a bigger, bigger profile so he can get more young ladies to come join him on his cult in Brecon. <laughs> no, there was another bit I didn't include in this, which was... Um, I can't remember the context, but is Roger Hallam saying something about, like, imagine there were that many rapists in the audience... Or no, it was, imagine how, if there were that many rape victims in the audience making an allusion to, like, how many people are affected by climate change. Fuck me. And it's like, whew, oh boy. A spicy take, Mr. Hallam. Yeah. While Extinction Rebellion have so far avoided open calls for reducing the world's human population rather than directly <laughs> advocate for a reduction... I love, it's one of those um, those right-wing things where they jump, they like, anyone who cares about the environment, you know what they really want? They want to kill half mm. of us. Now, don't get me wrong, that is a thing that is has been a fairly prominent um, oh, yeah, there's part of certain invo- even not eco-fascists even like eco-liberals you, I mean you hear fucking liberals yeah. talk about it all the time there's too many people that's yeah, yeah. why there's so many well, yeah, because they're fascists because well yeah um, 
Rather than directly advocate for a reduction of the world's population, Extinction Rebellion has simply promoted a reduction in the proportion of the world taken for human use and habitation through a policy of rewilding. Mm -hmm. The prospect of developing such technologies, um, as would abate climate change, would of course sit within an expectation of essentially maintaining the existing economic and political system. Said the quiet part louder, the loud part quiet. For those on the environmentalist far left, such an approach might risk invalidating their claim that there is no option but to end free market capitalism, abandon the pursuit of improving living standards through economic growth, and roll back the amount of land taken up for human habitation and agricultural use. Despite some elements that might sound utopian, at the most extreme end, the picture conveyed is of a very much materially poorer population, sustaining itself through local production, organised through workers' cooperatives, <laughs> governed by devolved assemblies with various mechanisms for redistribution and common ownership monsters it's like all of it, it just, I'm just hearing all of it in the tone of when, um, when Homer's what? saying when Jared Homer's saying, like, Stanley it's like, yeah, when Homer's saying like um, a lot of people who hold these views come from out of town it's that it's, uh, yeah, yeah. it's they're doing the thing of like some of the like just the plain nice bits of socialism and anti-capitalism yeah. of they want to share. They like trees. Well, it's an odd thing. It's like g- g- gulags, g- g- NKVD, yeah. uh, all that. And it's like, oh no, we're not saying that. We're saying, are you sure you want a fucking democratic stake in the things that matter the most to you and that affect you most in the world? Because that's what Extinction Rebellion are proposing. What? <laughs> you know that construction site next to your house where they're building flats? Could you imagine a meadow there? Yeah, a yeah. meadow. <laughs> <laughs> they go on about um, Extinction Rebellion's official demands. Their three demands. Mm-hmm. They say officially, Extinction Rebellion has restricted its campaign to three demands, each of which may sound plausible and re- reasonable to many onlookers. Of the three demands made by Extinction Rebellion, the calls for the establishment of a citizens' assembly or possible multiple citizens' assembly is the most politically significant. While the campaigners may frame this as a democratic move, it would in fact represent a significant break with the UK's established political system, bypassing and subvertive, subverting representative parliamentary democracy. Even if an unelected body of this nature... I don't, I don't think they said it was unelected, but here they they've did. assumed it's unelected. No, they, they did. Yeah? Oh, is it... Uh, Citizens' assemblies aren't elected. They're, ah, they're, okay. random, they're, they're randomly selected. They're like juries. Right. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, it would inevitably only serve to further delegitimise our existing electoral system. Citizens' assemblies would appear to be a key part of changing what Extinction Rebellion views as our illegitimate political process. So that legitimate political process, mm-hmm. let's review... Uh, the UK Parliament is the calcified result of a 300-year-old compromise built to rule an empire in the interests of a rising bourgeois class, deliberately isolated from the popular will, and only opened up to wider suffrage after decades of political agita- agitation and the worst war ever experienced up till then. Further atrophied by the transfer of wide swathes of decision-making to unaccountable corporate bodies, it regularly achieves turnouts in the mid-60% range, range, and MPs rank as some of the least trusted people in Britain. So... Yeah, legitimate political process. Yeah, Why could you? Just you fine. can't. Our prime minister it. was just elected with 0.2 percent of the country population choosing yeah. him. It's fine. It's, you know, it's, it's fine. It's, it's fine. absolutely fine. But it you is. know, rage against these. Uh, like they say, they would be selected. But the principle of local democracy is mm-hmm. not exactly a bad one if done properly. Mm-hmm. Um, they also go on. This report goes on about extinction rebellions' uh, propensity for violence. This is their kind of most common refrain. 
Uh, Extinction Rebellion has expressed a strong commitment to non-violence at the core of its civil disobedience strategy, yet reports that the campaign have considered using drones to halt air traffic at UK airports have raised questions about the extent to which the activists are prepared to jeopardise public safety. Ah! Mm. But it is violence if it at all stops the mechanism of the free market economy. Look, If it does it at all, that's violence. If someone has to fly from Gatwick or Stansted or London City or Luton, or <laughs> South End, or, let's go further, Manchester, Birmingham, yeah. Cardiff. Fight from one of them instead of Heathrow. <laughs> God damn it. Um, no less alarming, leading figures in extinction. The thing is, they want that to happen as well. <laughs> Sorry, it's a sort of... If they've got members in Extinction Rebellion, which I'm going to say they probably fucking do... Yes, 100%. This idea came from them. They yeah. literally said because there was probably there's probably someone in Extinction Rebellion now. He's probably got he's got a new nose piercing. Mm. He's got some like rub on tattoos that you shouldn't be looking at too closely because he'll start to peel. <laughs> and he's got some freshly done in dreads. And he was there and when pristine boots. <laughs> yeah, pristine boots. Top tip, fellows. <laughs> um, and he was probably there when they when the airport got shut down and they were looking for the drone. He was probably on the team flying the drones, looking for the drones that turned out to be the drones that they were afraid of in the first place. And he's given them this idea now to do Apparently, it. Um, he said he's got 50 drones in a van. They do go into like... And he'll give you training on how to use the drones. They do go into schisms in the movement. And mm. apparently the, there was a suggestion that they would use drones at Heathrow. It's not clear how far this ever went or the extent to which they were associated with Extinction Rebellion at all. Yeah. But there was like a schism about whether or not No, I know there's a lot of people that said that that. they were going to pull apart from... Yeah, uh, Yeah. because there's a big difference between being arrested for civil disobedience Mm. and like how many of them... There's about a thousand of them who are being... Like they're really pushing to like put them through the ringer. Um, And yeah, being arrested for terrorism. Yeah. The group repeatedly asserts asserts that it adheres to non-violence not only out of principle but also pragmatism. The founders of Extinction Rebellion do not believe that a strategy of violence would successfully achieve their politically political objectives. More broadly, non-violence is presented as a key part of the respectful attitude that leading Extinction Rebellion figures have encouraged their campaigners to adopt towards their perceived opponents, most significantly the police. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Roger Hallam has compared the economic costs caused by shutting down parts of the capital to labour strikes. He said the disruption must be maintained over many consecutive days and argues in the Extinction Rebellion handbook that to exact real economic cost for bosses, activists must keep the disruption going over a number of days. Solidarity. We do not tolerate violence against bosses. (laughs) Economic violence. And economic terrorism, really, against bosses. (laughs) Where would we be without them? Economic terrorism doesn't exist. Oscar Adjie said so. <laughs> um, he did say so, actually. He, he actually literally did say that the other mm-hmm. day, didn't he? Um, this, he explains, Roger Hallam explains, is because when blocking a city, the economics costs go up exponentially. Uh, he also says the action taken should be fun, getting artists involved to create a festival atmosphere. As Hallam explained in an Extinction Rebellion video from early April, think of Glastonbury in the streets. It's going to be a big festival. You just don't want to miss it. Forget the politics. You're coming down for a free festival. It's just going to be all over the place, all over London. Same the, class. Yeah. The interspersing of culture and entertainment with protest may not simply be motivated by the need to encourage large numbers of people to turn out and stay out, but also to give the demonstrations a more benign appearance. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like uh, Glastonbury is traditionally a very benign experience, yeah. and everyone wants to go there. 
it's just I cannot think of something that would make me want to turn up to a protest less than gen- specifically a Glastonbury experience. Festival experience, I'm okay with that. Glastonbury experience, maybe not so much. That's like the idea of hiding the Molotov cocktails behind Coldplay. <laughs> it's like, you know, they're using Coldplay as a cover. <laughs> I can't think of anything else that happens at Glastonbury. Uh, people bitch about um, rap artists being allowed oh, yeah, they do do on that. the main stage. Um, and Hawkwind are there every year. Are they really? Are they still um, going? I, I assume they... they used, I mean, I know they, they're still going, but they used they're, to they're still there. going to Glastonbury. Right? They used to be there pretty much every year. Because <laughs> where else are they going to go? <laughs> what else they got to do? <laughs> While those behind Extinction Rebellion believe in non-violence, this does not preclude them from putting themselves and others in personal danger. Mm-hmm. From the state. That's the implication. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the people... ones who, um, who hang up themselves at the building site in East London. Yeah. Um, at the concrete place. Um, yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're putting, you are putting yourselves in danger. From us. From yeah. literally an ex-copper saying that. Somebody who used to be a part of the state. It's yeah. like, you're putting yourselves at danger. I'm unbuckling this truncheon. <laughs> I'm, un- I'm shackling this pepper imagine the spray. incredible violence that could happen? You could, you could lose an eye and I'm going to get repetitive strain. <laughs> I won't be able to play tennis over the summer. <laughs> Underlying their non-violent civil disobedience theory, it appears there is some sense that gaining martyrs for their cause would help assist them in achieving Whoa. their objectives. This notion is by no means alien to this movement. Notably, the pink boat that protesters installed in London's Oxford Circus was named in honour of Berta Kakeris. Mm. Now, if you don't know, Berta Kakeris was a Honduran environmental activist who was murdered mm-hmm. in 2016 when opposing the construction of a hydroelectric dam. She was assassinated in her home by armed intruders after years of threats against her life. A former soldier with the US-trained Special Forces units of the Honduran military asserted that Kokeris's name was on their hit list months before her assassination. And as of 2017, three of the eight arrested people were linked to the US-trained elite military troops, of which two had been trained at Fort Benning, Georgia, otherwise known, previously known, as the School of the Americas. The paramilitary training yeah. school set up by the US, uh, yeah. by the CIA. In order to assassinate left-wing leaders and unionists and prevent communism in, in South America. So, I just think it's good that Extinction Rebellion, you know, are polite to the police because then they're safe. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just remarkable. It's like, listen, there's a very real danger you're putting yourselves in here. I may have to murder you and your family. Look, they want martyrs and there is no way that I'm not going to kill one of them in their beds. <laughs> That's the kind of bull... Oh. Yeah. There's no way. Look, you're doing this to yourselves. It's the old thing about the um, fucking British soldier in Ireland. Yeah. Of we will, I will never forgive you. Well, like the Irish soldier, the Irish uh, rebel saying, "We will." Um, why do you hate us so much? Mm. And the British soldier saying, "We will never forgive you for what you forced us to do." Yeah. It's it's just dis- disgusting. It's yeah. really very very bad in the worst way possible. <laughs> um, and this wasn't paid for by Exxon or Shell. Yeah. It wasn't. Just say that every so often, just to remind everyone that it wasn't paid for by them. No, absolutely not. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would Shell know about assassinating activists, really? <laughs> well, it's cable. Yeah. <laughs> and they const- they just constantly passive voice the state mm-hmm. from all of this. It, you know, like, yeah, they, they simply die from policing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and to be perfectly honest, to be perfectly balanced, this is something that... Roger Hallam and Extinction Rebellion kind of do as well. Mm-hmm. They're guilty of it. In all of their writings, he never addresses what if the answer to the question that they're asking of the state, which is, why won't you do something to help us? What if the answer is, because we don't want to, mm-hmm. and we're going to stop you asking that yeah. question? It's like um, it, like a different thing. It's like with the stuff with, um, with 
Trump and how he's sort of proved that journalism is kind of worthless. <laughs> of like, you know, what happens when you speak truth to power and power yeah. just points to the sky and says, I think it's raining and walks off when you ask him if he's a paedophile. Yeah. Oh, look. And what protects him from having any like consequences from saying that? It's a combination of institutional power and the police. He doesn't... This is not hard. This yeah. is, we've been talking about this shit for years. Yeah. What is it that makes institutions... What is it that makes power power? Mm. It's fucking ridiculous. Um, yeah, they then move on to some stuff about uh, getting funding. They allude to the fact that they get funding from Lush and from several kind of uh, prominent philanthropists Probably. rather than crowdfunding, which is a extremely weird charge to lay at the door <laughs> from of a completely a does, opaque They do not get any money tank. from Exxon or Shell. <laughs> they, I, <laughs> I just love the idea yeah, of like... I, <laughs> like you might imply that we get our money from Exxon and Shell, but they get their money from a more dangerous organisation. Lush, the bath bomb people. <laughs> they're, they're called them bath bombs now. How long before it's real bombs? Yeah? The crimes yeah. of Shell are nothing compared to the amount of white people with henna hair <laughs> caused by Lush. Let's think less about Shell, yeah? And more about liberal left-leaning Shell corporations. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounded like very Neil from the Young Ones, very Citizen Smith and shit. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so they go into. Uh, there is one really funny bit from from this section, this like last section. Um, an open letter was published in the Guardian that that, de- uh, that December that December December twenty eighteen. This time with signatures from a hundred academics, authors, and politicians. The contents of this letter take an even more politically radical turn, gesturing sympathies not only for a far left agenda, but also pushing a strain of anti Western identity politics. Boom. The letter states that if global corporate capitalism continues to drive the international economy, global catastrophe is inevitable. Conventionally privileged privileged nations must voluntarily fund comprehensive environmental protection policies in impoverished nations to compensate the latter for foregoing unsustainable economic growth and paying recompense for the planet-plundering imperialism of materially privileged nations. Mm -hmm. Turns out this climate change thing, lads, yeah, (laughs) it's not just here, it's everywhere. (laughs) Global. They they talk about the they talk about the victims of climate change. How about we uh, like we uh, like help the victims of climate change at home first? Yeah. <laughs> um, they then go into the notion that politician that they've kind of gained access to politicians. They've started to infiltrate institutions. Uh, they mention that um, uh, Corbyn picked up on some of their language. Um, after their big protest and their big shut, like what sitting, pick up on saying that climate occupied. change is bad. Uh, yeah, he called for rapid and dramatic action, which only concerted government action and a green industrial revolution can deliver. They say that this is him mimicking their language. Their language exactly. Corbyn never cared about climate change before generation, um, before extinction rebellion. He never did. No, no. The left in general, it, it never yeah. occurred. It never occurred to anyone actually <laughs> until uh, Roger Hallam, who was the first one to come up with it. They get way more pissed off. At John McDonnell, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, Labour unveiled more concrete moves aligning with Extinction Rebellion's agenda when Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell made an announcement in which he defended and praised actions taken by both Extinction Rebellion and youth, the youth climate strikes. At the time, McDonnell announced he was establishing a review to assess how the financial system... That's in quote marks for some reason. 
As it currently exists, relates to the climate emergency. McDonnell outlined that the review would cover commercial banks and investment banks, as well as pension funds, hedge funds, private equity, asset managers, derivatives and securities traders and exchanges. As part of this, he said we would be putting Labour would be putting forward proposals for legislation that would require any company listed on the London Stock Exchange to contribute to tackling the climate crisis. Those who fail to comply with the proposals would be sanctioned by being delisted from the London Stock Exchange. This focus on targeting finance, rather than placing the emphasis, this is their words now, this focus on targeting finance, rather than placing the emphasis on investment in green technologies, for instance, appears entirely in line with the approach favoured by Extinction Rebellion. As an ex-copper, right, I'm going to speak to him directly now, as an ex-copper that used to be responsible for anti-terrorism and policing Mm. Muslim communities, let me put it in words that you might understand. If they're not guilty, they don't have anything to hide, do they? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Potentially more politically significant than the activists' meeting with ministers was a claim made by Gail Bradbrook, one of the founders of Extinction Rebellion, on Sky News during the April protests in London. While standing amidst demonstrators on Waterloo Bridge, Bradbrook told the presenter that politicians behind the scenes, including this current government, are telling us that they need a social movement like ours to give them the social permission to do the necessary. The presenter questioned whether it could really be the case that government ministers could be telling the activists that this is what they wanted. Bradbrook responded by saying, I'm giving you anecdotal evidence. I won't be able to prove that to you, but I've met a couple of people who've talked to Theresa May's advisers and they have said that they do know how bad it is and actually they do need you guys to help. (laughs) Reds under Theresa May. Reds Reds and Greens in the Conservative Party was not a twist I expected (laughs) this to take. It's like when you tell a child that, yes, next year we'll go to Disneyland. When you have... (laughs) Or you say maybe. <laughs> That's, that reeks of a definite, mummy, can I go to Disneyland? And you say maybe. Oh, I'd love to address this climate change, but I'm just so, oh, I'm just so busy. Yeah, I'm I've got so this busy. Brexit thing. I'm you just, just you, fucking, you, oh. You but do you a good keep job doing, of your chores. You keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Go and ask your dad. <laughs> um, so they, they sum up here at the end. Um, Within Extinction Rebellion, it is conceivable that the figureheads could eventually be sidelined by more moderate figures who will seek to move into the mainstream. Under such a scenario, a more radical fringe might break away so as to have a free hand to undertake actions such as those involving drones or hunger strikes. Provisional Extinction Rebellion. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, completely, it's like, yeah, no, that literally happens to every movement or every group of human beings that are presented with a task. There will always be a certain number of people who want to do certain things. Also, the more violent actions mentioned are uh, the drone thing, Mm -hmm. which is questionable as like an explicitly violent action. Yeah. And... Hunger strikes. Yeah. Well, no, it pisses them off. Oh, no. They've just fucking slowed down the machines that are killing us. And now they've really, really gone insane. (laughs) They're going to starve themselves to death in front of us. Yeah. You know? This is violence. There was a horrible, like, I don't want to seem too down on that kind of like whole self-sacrificing hunger Mm -hmm. strike thing. There's a really good, like, Ward Churchill speech Mm -hmm. or talk that he gave just after... um, 2001, in the early 2000s, before he got embroiled in all of his legal stuff. Um, He talks about the guy who set himself on fire outside the Pentagon to protest the Vietnam War. Um, And it always stayed with me what he said, like that he doesn't doubt the guy's courage, like ethical fortitude and his supreme commitment to what he was doing and to achieve the aims that he he died for, Mm -hmm. that he, uh, he killed himself for. But you know what happened the day after? The Pentagon reopened. Like I don't, I just don't get the tactically. That kind of stuff seems really. You're appealing to a morality that the state 
does yeah, not they have. They don't care. And that even people who aren't in the state, the petrochemical companies... Oh, yeah, they really don't care. Um, ...that are maybe just aligned with the state, just do not care about. Mm. They would happily see you die. It's evident they would happily see you die. Because well, yeah, especially if you set yourself on fire, because you bought petrol from them. Yeah. <laughs> it main- if it maintains its current direction of travel, they continue, it can be anticipated that Extinction Rebellion will continue to instigate, instigate mass disruption, mass law-breaking, and ongoing delegitimization of the free market and the UK's existing democratic system. Further support from public figures and celebrities will only assist it in these efforts, encouraging more people to participate in causing disruption and seeking arrest, while adding weight to Extinction Rebellion's radical critique of our existing way of life. There's just this constant, like, through the whole report, there's this constant narrowing of options. It's like, well, okay, we understand climate change is a real thing, Mm -hmm. but if you want to fight it, you have to be Mm -hmm. law-abiding. You're not allowed to use violence. Uh, actually, you can't make any kind of disruption. So you can't stop cars, can't stop planes, can't really do anything like that. Um, you can't make any kind of scene, public scene at all. Uh, if it's too noisy, mm-hmm. uh, that is disrupting the flow of business. That's that's a no-no. Uh, you can't talk to government, or certainly government shouldn't talk to you. Yeah. Um, you can't really have celebrities because they might not realise you're as radical as you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can't really even draw attention to yourself. It's like, I'd also prefer it if you stopped questioning the free market uh, <laughs> free market solutions to this climate crisis. So try not to imagine anything too different from what you've got already. Don't, don't imagine a different kind of democracy. Don't imagine a different kind of parliament. Uh, just... What's left? Yeah. There's nothing left. Well, How are you supposed to do that? Hashtag I'm with Joe. Join left with the Lidettes. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, as usual, the recommendations of the report are that police should try to arrest people quicker mm-hmm. and expand their uh, policing powers around protests. They want more police. They want more police. They want them to be able to arrest them quicker. They want harder sentences. If I was the government, prosecuted for any kind of violence that they do. Um, If I was the government and I had a problem with climate change, I would simply arrest the protesters. (laughs) Is essentially what they say. Yeah. Um, They then also point out that they need that the government should try and deal with climate change. Again, it's well. If I was the government and I was threatened with uh, catastrophic climate change, I would simply stop climate change. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. also trying to, and, and makes recommendations that government doesn't engage with Extinction Rebellion to counter the extremist message that... Mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying to no platform them. Yeah. They're saying that because they dismiss technological solutions and insist that degrowth and a reduction of living standards um, are the only viable solutions, that that's illegitimate and they should not be engaged with at all. Hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, ministers should not be meeting with extremists who openly incite the public to break the law with an expressed aim of causing severe economic damage in the short term and overturning representative democracy and the liberal free market in the long term. To date, there has been a marked failure to call out this extremistic gender for what it is. It's just the idea that they're hiding their true agenda, that they want to change our yeah. way of life when climate change affects everybody, that they're actually violent despite explicitly not being violent and not being able... Under those circumstances, they could never prove that they're not eventually... Some of them are not eventually going to be what they term as violent. It's really weird. Um, They're appealing to increasing numbers of people and sympathisers in the highest reaches of government, which are presented as a negative. Mm -hmm. Um, Sitting in a road is basically economic murder, unlike actual economic murder, (laughs) which is anti-Western identity politics. Um, And the key thing that the actions that Extinction Rebellion take are inhibiting the flow and processes of commercial and financial capitalism. That's the key thing. 
Anything that stops hypercapitalism moving faster, keeping devouring more resources, must it, this must never be stopped. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I think like what I've really noticed about this thing is they do constantly use a very reaction, the very base reactionary term of like law breaking. Yeah. So it's a very strange thing I noticed in British culture specifically. In American culture, you have God, race, Christian culture. Those are the markings of the hard right. In Britain, if you were going to point to a trope around the hard right, maybe not quite fascist, but certainly the hard right, unites all of them, it's um, worshipping the law. Mm-hmm. It's the single thing that kind of unites all of the hard right in this country. So like Eurosceptics, they say the EU are breaking British law, yeah. the worst possible sin. Islamophobes, we have to see if they're breaking the law and mm-hmm. they want to substitute a new foreign law. Yeah. Um, anti-union guys, the mm-hmm. criticism of unions is always, you didn't follow the law by holding the ballot in this yeah. particular circumstance. The one that we don't demand parliament goes to. Yeah. Um, the law is so central to that bit of British culture when you're a, like when you're a kid. You um, delight in those weird little um, urban myths that says like you can drink wine at five years old in your yeah. own home, and you can kill a sw- you can't kill a swan because it belongs to the queen. Um, even down to like it spreads to liberals whenever they're confronted with like a serious protest like London riots, all the liberals are coming out and saying no, they're breaking the law, therefore everything is justified. Shut down the internet and kill every single one of them. Um, and it comes to this re- to link it into this report. These are guys who make suggest the suggestion that even in the catastrophic and extreme circumstances that climate change like faces us with yeah. that you have to respect the law when it comes to political action the law being of course whatever they say it is mm-hmm. which is ironic coming from somebody who policed terrorism for so many years and would they say that about the caliphate mm. you know if that's they regard that as civilizational extinction and they would not stop or according to their rhetoric would not stop at any means up to and including interning and pogroming Muslims in order to stop that happening so mm. There's an obvious like ranking of priorities here. Yeah. Um, the Policy Exchange literally wrote a report on how to excuse the military from the law. <laughs> Heat death is no excuse for hooliganism and traffic <laughs> violations, however. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. But yeah, this worship of the law, it kind of goes further in that to contrast, because they identify the anti- anti-capitalism with lawbreakers in general. Yeah. That kind of conflates the law with free market capitalism and and neoliberalism, you know, the dominance of the financial sector and and technocracy. They put capitalism and nature and the biosphere on the same level as, like, like you have natural law, you also have human unchangeable law, which is the free market. Yeah. Um, As if capitalism was some force inherent to life on this planet that, you know, you you could change it, but you will reap a whirlwind. Unlike the climate. Yeah. In which we've been affecting for decades, uh, centuries now. Growth has to be 2% every year, forever. <laughs> but you can also raise the temperatures of the sea by 2 degrees and it's fine. <laughs> if you reduce growth by even like half a percent, then everybody will starve to death. Yeah, that's literally something they say in the, in the report. <laughs> they do say that. They, but if you raise because the temperatures they say of the sea by like a degree... <coughs> They say that degrowth and rewilding would reduce the amount of agricultural land and therefore would starve people. That's when they say materially poorer, yeah, yeah. that's kind of what that's what they're alluding to. That yeah. Everyone would starve to death. But it does, it equivalent it equivocates between keeping capitalism as this engine of human life <laughs> and the natural world, which is we're fucking killing because of that. Mm. And capitalism is a human made instrument like climate change. It can be stopped, it can be dismantled, and it Probably has to be. Yeah. But naturally, of course, 
there's a whole class of people who would literally see the world burn rather than question this particular route that they've taken, which is technology-driven solutions to it. Yeah. And there's no ranking, there's no priority. It's a, no, these are the only things we're allowing. Yeah. And it's like this report is fucking, it's, it's, it's mad. It makes the typical kind of police them harder, but in such an obvious way that you think, oh, maybe we are coming to the end of neoliberalism in this particular kind of hyper capitalism because everything's bare yeah. it's all bare and open faced you can see respect this do not change this or we will fucking come after you and if they're doing that about extinction rebellion who i have many problems with yeah. what are they going to do to anything else yeah okay that's us for this week you can subscribe to us on itunes you can follow us at wdtatw underscore podcast you can follow me at bm bergamo and follow hugh at tanner smashing and we'll see you next week thanks boy boy <laughs> Fighting am the least about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to cut my